from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Some rumors. Some confirmed, some true rumors uh, surrounding the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Speculations. Some speculations, some just pure reports. Uh, Well, first of all, we'll start with the the true report. Okay. Freddie Anderson on the ice for today's practice in Arizona. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's what happened, <laughs> right? He's been out, uh, hasn't been out with the full group since November, early November. Yeah, um, feels at the same time much longer than that, and also much shorter than that. It's been a long time, so he's back out on the ice. It's a road practice, which is an interesting time for him to jump back in there. Uh, but Freddie Anderson is on the ice for today's Canes practice in Arizona. That, according to team reporter Walt Ruff, I find that interesting. Because Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet uh, had just started throwing out little little UC Sor- Soros uh, from Nashville, little little just birdie told me sort of stuff. Just hey, maybe this could work out for the Canes, sort of stuff. Yeah, UC Soros was a Vesna Trophy finalist, the Vesna Trophy for the best goalie in the NHL. He was a finalist just a couple seasons ago. Let's hear Elliot Friedman on Sportsnet. Nashville is looking for offense. That, that's the thing for them. They're, they're looking for a high-end offensive player. And, you know, this is just me talking out of my uh, – just just spitballing. And I, uh, but, like, I've wondered about a guy like Natchez. And, you know, like I, I was doing my Nashville radio hit last week, and that was the first guy uh, out of my head Is because I think Carolina is going to have a, ch- a challenge getting an extension done with him after this season so like that that to me is one that just on paper you could i could look at it and says it's a need for both teams not saying it's going to happen but it makes sense would you make that move dennis actually let me ask let me let me let me let me let me let me refine on this let me refine my question um would you have made that move yesterday because I also want to ask, like, then Freddie practices, does does that change your willingness to make that move? No, it doesn't change my willingness to make that move, no. Because okay, so Freddie, Freddie practicing today has no impact on no. what you see them needing in, in goal. No, it doesn't. Um, because we all know his injury history, unfortunately, uh, for him. But I think that you make that move – if you know that you can sign UC Soros long-term. Now, UC Soros has one more year left on his contract after this season. Martin Natchez is going to be a restricted free agent. This is where the math really comes into all this because after this season, the salary cap does bump up a few billion dollars. But Sebastian Ajo A Ajo's few million. Million. million sounded dollars. like you said billion. Million. I just want to make Sorry. sure we're... A few million dollars. The NHL is doing well. Not that well. Yeah, not no, not that well. Goodness. <laughs> the so, NFL isn't doing that well. The... Sebastian Ajo contract extension kicks in, so that's going to eat into some of the salary cap. You still have to re-sign or look at re-signing Brady Shea, Brett Pesci. Also, Seth Jarvis is due for a contract extension because his entry-level rookie contract comes up. Now, he's restricted free agent. You can do what's called a bridge deal. But nonetheless, some of these guys that we have on the roster for Carolina are going to be up. You can't keep everybody. Now, you can sit there and say, well, if we let – Tavo Teravina go into free agency. That's going to clear up cat space. There's a lot of different things that come along with it as opposed to just a one-for-one swap for this year.
because there's the future impact of this. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep Martin Natchez long-term because of everything I said. If that's the case, if you can get a goaltender that can not only help you this year, but also next year, and potentially you could sign him to be a partner with Piotr Kochekov for the next several seasons, UC Saros is only 28 years old. Freddie Anderson's 34. So you got to weigh the future that comes with it. We all know that Don Waddell and Tom Dundon don't make moves unless they know they can get something in the long term for them. You touched on on what I believe is big in this. He's 28 years old. Mm-hmm. I think that just matches up very well with Kochekov. Um, who's 24. Who's 24, and I think you could extend Soros's career by how much you trust Kochekov. I think you can almost – uh, you know, slowly over time flip their role, you know what I mean, as as Soros gets a little bit older and you might want to scale back his play or his his uh, time on ice, you'll be able to ramp up Kochekov because he'll be hitting that late 20s, 30s part of his career where he'll be ready. So if, if and the big if that you brought up, if you feel like Soros is someone that could make a commitment here long term and you could get it done, I'd be I'd be fascinated by it. I would be as well because there are some guys like we've seen with uh, Ponomarev and other guys in the organization that you can bring up as forwards. It's hard to find quality goaltending. If you can have two of them locked up, look at what Boston has with with, with Swayman and Allmark. Like those two, they're just one A one B for those two guys. And and this does like you know I I beat the drum for uh, Mark Andre Fleury, but that would very obviously be like uh, um a parting from what the Canes like to do, right? If the Canes make a move for somebody, their history says they want to have a chance at signing them long-term, right? They don't want to trade for somebody on a one-year rental, which, I mean, Flurry would be a one-year rental, right? It would be somebody going all in for this year. If they do think Soros is somebody that they can keep around for a while, that's more in line with what Don Waddell and, and this front office likes to do. I actually think it's kind of a nice uh, compromise, from what I hoped they would do this year and what they like to do, right? Because I want them to go all in for this year. I want them to pick a year this year, next year. Like at some point, your window, you just gotta, you just gotta go for it. You gotta put the pressure on. You gotta say we're gonna go win a cup this year. Um, I would like to see that. However, I don't think they're ever gonna do that because that's not in their DNA as a front office. But a move for for Soros kind of threads the needle of. Yeah, you're getting a goalie for this postseason run. You're getting a guy that you can pair with an elite defense right now to really prevent goals. But also, he could be a part of your plans for the next five years, and and that is is more in line with what they want to do. So it's a it's a little. I'm trying to extend an olive branch here. I, I'm I'm. It's not my favorite, but I think I I think it could work out pretty well. Uh, also, Friedman, um, who we brought up Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada, uh, tweeted this out. Word this morning that Blackhawks and Connor Bedard are checking in with doctors about the possibility of playing tonight, and we have an update. He's playing. He's playing tonight. Now, why does that matter? Because they're playing Pittsburgh tonight. Well, because the next one is Monday at PNC. Yes. And Bedard, you may say, oh, he's visiting. It's box office, man. The the guy yeah. the guy is a special young player. He's that dude. Um, it is it is box office, and uh, you, you know. If you're going to play the Blackhawks, you might as well play the Blackhawks with Bedard, right? It's it's good for battle-testing your team, but also it's just good entertainment. Jake, I'm getting worried. My house hunt's taking longer than expected. We've made so many offers and keep losing out. You could really use the JAG advantage. 
Well, what's the JAG advantage? The Jim Allen Group, number one real estate team in the state since 1996 with the largest inventory of home sites in the Triangle, 11,000. And they rep more than 65 communities. The Jim Allen Group? Oh, I get it. The JAG advantage. Goal! Learn how you can score with the Jim Allen Group at thejagadvantage.com. Equal housing opportunity. Did you know that your unused medications could end up in the wrong hands? It's important to keep your medication secure in a locked location, such as a locking box or locking cabinet. When it's time to dispose of them, safety and properly dispose of old, expired, or unused meds by using an at-home disposal product or a medication disposal box in your community. Don't miss out on medication take-back events happening near you. Don't let anyone take what's yours. Lock your meds. Be aware. Don't share. Learn more at lockyourmeds.org nc. Bracketologists everywhere. Listen up. I wish I could have majored in bracketology. Uh, I wish I could put together a, a some kind of ridiculous commercial that ends with four out of five bracketologists approve. Bracketologists everywhere want to make fun of the ACC. The other day I went to ESPN.com. You may have heard of it. Um, it is a, a website run by ESPN. And the main big uh, story, right? There's the one with the big picture right up top, ESPN.com. It it was bracketology, right? And the picture was uh, a bracket and then bracketology. And then the headline said, bracketology, colon, the ACC used to have number one next to schools' names. That sounds like an unnecessary uh jab at the ACC especially when you consider once you open the article it is just bracketology it is not an article about why the ACC is struggling or why the ACC's reputation is down it's not an article about how the Big 12 is gaming the system to up their net rankings and and why the ACC should follow it it's not an article about any of that it's just Here's the list of the teams we predict, meaning Joe Lenardi, ESPN, bracketologist, uh, predicts to be in, inside the tournament. And you know what's crazier about it? This was before UNC's most recent loss. So in the article, the ACC had a number two seed and a number three seed. The headline was, the ACC doesn't have a one seed. And the actual article goes, well, they have a two and a three seed. And oh, by the way, the SEC didn't have a number one seed in this, but we won't mention that in the headline. And then you look further, and and Wake Forest was the first team out. They were number 69 out of the 68. That's just personal. That's a choice, right? That means you looked at, at two, you could have gone either way, and you just chose to put Wake Forest out. And guess what? You may say, Tim, it's the middle of February doesn't matter just bracketology except it does do you know why because the committee is made of humans and humans are impacted by these sorts of things it's not the bcs as it used to be you don't just plug in numbers and then it goes like the old dial-up internet and then it prints out a bracket and we all go perfect let's fill it out and give five dollars to our grandma to hold right that's how most family bracket pools work right Mm mm-hmm Then Lunardi went on Twitter, okay, and started just jabbing at the ACC. And I have a problem with the jabbing. Here's a sampling of what the the Joe Lunardi bracketologist said. 
The ACC conference peaked in 2019, landing three of four number one seeds, including national champion Virginia. Since then, there's not been a single top-line selection from the ACC, its longest drought since seeding began in 1979. I have many flaws with, with this reporting as a measure of the strength of the ACC. First being, the ACC isn't getting top seeds. Fine. Also, the season doesn't end on Selection Sunday, right? They put out the bracket, they name the seeds, and then they do something that is my favorite thing to possibly do in sports. They play the games. Yeah. After they seed it, which is subjective, which, by the way, in sports, there is not much that is subjective. But Selection Sunday is. Where you are seated is a decision by people in a room. It is subjective. Just ask Florida State football. Just That's a perfect example. You yeah. can win all your games and still not be one of the top four teams in college football playoff rankings. Similar, right? So to use the only subjective thing in, in college basketball as a sign that the ACC is falling, knowing that they play the games after the seeding, is ridiculous because guess what else has happened since the ACC has been a number one seed? 2019 is the last time an ACC team was a number one seed in the, the NCAA tournament. 2019. The Duke? They, well, no, it was, Virginia. They, they had three of the four. Oh, yeah. It was Virginia, and yeah. I think it was Duke also. And there was one other. Who knows? Could have been any of them. Since they've last been a number one seed, and keep in mind that the 2020 uh, tournament was canceled. Yes. So we're looking at less than than like the fewer tournaments, it's more impressive. Uh, they've had six Sweet 16 appearances, tied for second amongst all conferences. Four Elite Eight appearances, tied for first among all conferences. They've had three Final Four appearances, that's first amongst all conferences. Uh, 6.2 wins over Ken Palm expectation, that is uh, first among all conferences. 6.3 wins over Seed expectation. Uh, that's first amongst all conferences. And they've had 23 total wins. That's tied for second amongst all conferences. If that conference that is first or second in darn near everything inside the tournament is not being given the top seeds, it's not the conference's fault. It's the seeders' fault. It is a flaw in the seeding because seeding is subjective. If if seeding in, in the NCAA tournament were done the way seeding in the NBA or the NFL or any of the professional leagues were, was done, you couldn't argue with it, right? It's your record decides where you go, and there's tiebreakers based on in-conference records and all. Like, that's not subjective. That is the numbers decide where you go. But as soon as it's done by people in a room and they're told to put the four best teams on the top line – if the ACC is never on the top line, but then the ACC is routinely the most productive conference, that's a flaw in the seeding. That's not a flaw in the conference. If the ACC isn't getting top seeds because they keep getting deep tourney runs and they keep getting final fours, that is a flaw in whoever's deciding who the best teams are because they're not recognizing how good the ACC is. Now, can you solve it, right? What did I start this show talking about? Be a solutions guy, not a problems guy. The solution is difficult. 
because I don't think you're ever going to convince the world to just count a game in an ACC conference game as more impressive win, lose, or draw than a game elsewhere. But what I do know is the teams that leave an ACC conference schedule are more battle-tested for the NCAA tournament than the other conferences. That's not me talking. That's the numbers talking. It's, it's, it's a shame that you would use where the, the teams are seated as some kind of decision on how quality those teams are when they routinely overperform against their seeding. That's like saying, like, like, actually, that's not even the right. I was going to go down a, a college football analogy way, but I don't even think we have to do that because it, we don't have to use analogies in this case because it's literally happening. If Purdue is a number one seed again this year and they lose in the first round again this year, does that mean the Big Ten stinks, or does that mean you should probably stop putting Purdue as a number one seed? Right? If if you have a team that's always the top-ranked team and they always lose to good opponents, then maybe they shouldn't be the top-ranked team. Same is true in reverse. If a team is never the top-ranked top team, yet they routinely make it as far as the top-ranked team should make it, maybe they should start being the top-ranked team. Well, I think you brought it up. It's a flaw in the system, especially now with the emphasis on net ratings and things like that because you've talked about with the Big 12, and you had a conversation with Adam Gold about this earlier today, mm -hmm. is that the Big 12, what they have done as a conference, with the exception of maybe Kansas because Kansas actually played some yep. difficult teams out of conference, but they played a bunch of just not very good teams, well, not very good programs, and they blew them out, which yep. boosts your ratings and these great win-loss win records. So when the net ratings – were for them when they started conference play were all pretty high. So you're playing against other highly rated net rated teams, which allows you to continue to keep your net rating high because they didn't ridiculous. play anybody. I want to build Again, off it's what, gaming the system. I want to build off what you're saying. This is how ridiculous the net rating is. Yeah. Um, if a conference plays more conference games, like mm -hmm. if they decide, hey, we, we have, you know, with the ACC moving to 18 teams next year. Yeah. If they want to move from 20 to 24 conference games, that is going to massively hurt the, the, the conference. It does. Even though you may say you're replacing non-conference games, which, which are traditionally against bad teams, with games against better opponents, which I believe would make you more suited for a run in the NCAA tournament, it would massively hurt yourself because your conference net rating gets a net zero improvement in conference games. Because if you win by 32, the team you're playing lost by 32 – they're your conference opponent. The conference gets no help, right? They're in yeah. the exact same spot overall. So, so like, once your conference play starts, it's almost impossible for your net ratings to go up or down because it's so much is dependent on your opponent, right? Whether you win or lose, how good your opponent is matters. So if, if the ACC, in their non-conference schedule, doesn't light the world on fire by beating a bunch of bums, right, beating a bunch of, of bad teams – they enter into the ACC. They're like, yeah, but once we're playing against other good ACC teams, our net rankings will go up. They won't because when UNC loses to, to Syracuse, Syracuse net ranking goes up, UNC's goes down, the ACC net no gain, right? It's, it's even. So then all of their opponents moving forward aren't getting any gain because they're playing both Syracuse and, and UNC. It's, it's, it's a flaw in the system. 
The ACC should be a higher-ranked team. It should have higher-ranked teams in the NCAA tournament. Look no further for justification than the NCAA tournaments. Also, there's more teams, too. True. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's frustrating to me. And I, and I like saying I'm a fan of logic and reason. When logic is this, like, smacking you in the face, wide open in the, in the middle of the room, I get frustrated when everybody doesn't see it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.